gilet jaune, un gilet jaune. Macron démission, Macron démission. Welcome to Interchange. I'm your host, Doug Storm. Today's show is Memes with Force. Démission, Macron démission, Macron démission, Macron démission, gilet jaune, un gilet jaune. Our opening song, Gilet Jaune, or Yellow Vest, comes from Toulouse, France delivery driver, Cop Johnson. This simple, repetitive chant expresses support for the Yellow Vests and calls for the resignation of French President Emmanuel Macron. It has over 26 million YouTube views and has become the subject of a multitude of memes. We'll stick with French hip-hop throughout. Our show is about the French Gilet Jaune movement, or Yellow Vest movement. For more than a year, protesters have donned yellow safety vests and taken to the streets to decry the police, centrist French President Emmanuel Macron, and his attempted austerity reforms. The reflective vests worn by protesters are required for all French motorists to store in their cars in case of emergency. The vest became the emblem of the movement back in November of 2018 when Macron announced a tax on gasoline. He proposed the measure as an environmentally friendly regulation, but the French people saw through his rhetoric and identified the obvious neoliberal bid to shift the rising costs of climate change to consumers. Thousands marched, Paris descended into chaos, and Macron withdrew the gas tax a month later. And then, every Saturday for months, the Yellow Vest continued to rally and riot in cities across the country. During the work week, they took over hundreds of roundabouts, which are highway junctions that move traffic in one direction around a central island. These traffic circles are common in the French road system, and the yellow vests use them to slow, as opposed to stop, traffic between cities and spread their message. The roundabouts became a hub of activity. And while the scenes of the Gilets jaunes are familiar, brutalizing riot police, broken windows, cars and trash bins set ablaze, these demonstrations continue to evade political definition in Memes with Force, producer Bella Bravo speaks with Adrian Voliban and Paul Torino, Americans who contributed to the Gilets Jaunes at its outset, about what they find distinctive and vitalizing about this movement. By facilitating widespread participation through means, it has increased collective force. And by generalizing sites of resistance in the roundabouts, it has broadened public opportunities for protest communities to converge and experiment. Examples of memes in protest include wearing a yellow vest or singing Baby Shark throughout the streets and squares of Lebanon or banging on a stovetop pot as people do now throughout Latin America in a form of protest called Casarolazzo. Instead of the public square, meeting hall, salon or club, the yellow vests meet in the roundabouts. Sites completely novel to class conflict though clearly linked to the capitalist command of the terrain. Set against what might be the traditional localized struggle of a factory strike or a reproductive justice campaign, where a protest-specific identity limits participation, memes or mimetic activities allow anyone to engage in the fight to transcend individual interest. And now, Memes with Force on Interchange on WFHB. Today we're here with Adrian Volieben and Paul Torino. 
to American participants in the Yellow Vest Movement in 2018 and 2019. They wrote an article about a year ago called Memes with Force that came out in Metamute. It has since been translated into German and Italian. The essay has two theses on the transformation of the political imaginary. First is Memes with Force, where the force comes from contagious nonverbal gestures. And the second thesis being placemaking, which focuses meaning on daily lives as opposed to political discourse. And so before we jump into the complexity of both theses, it would just be helpful if we had an understanding of what the Yellow Vest movement is and a brief timeline. Sure. So thanks for inviting us on the show. Um, the Yellow Vest uh, started in uh, summer, early fall of 2018 uh, in response to the Macron government in France proposing a sort of fuel tax uh, that was allegedly in the name of the climate, um, but it was disproportionately affect people living in the countryside and in smaller towns who have to commute and uh, for a living um, for their jobs and who rely on uh, vehicles that are privately owned to get around because of the disappearance of public transit and the slashing of public sector and public services in those areas, right? So it's it's in the context of austerity of the of the neoliberal state and so forth, um, and this is the sort of neoliberal approach to climate, which punishes the poor predominantly. So in the wake of that, there was a series of online petitions that circulated that eventually led to a call for a demonstration in Paris. This is in November of 2018, and. And it was spearheaded by people who are not traditionally political activists who didn't come from organized political groups, uh, who were in some cases just truckers or people who, you know, were like moms, dads, normal, quote unquote, normal people, right? Um, who initially, you know, organized this uh, demo with the intention of sort of like marching straight up to the, you know, the seat of power in Paris, the Palais, or, you know, Macron has his offices and so forth. It was really widely attended. So like, you know, thousands of people showed up and they were told to bring a yellow safety vest because it's something that every French driver has to have in their car. Uh, in that sense, it's a symbol not only of a high visibility of a group who felt invisible uh, and who were not um, who were seen as being, you know, ignored, spat on, disregarded, uh, who were paying the price for this sort of... Um, supposedly progressive mission of the neoliberal state. Um, but it was also just a banal object that everyone would have, right? So it, it symbolized the non-specialized character of the kind of antagonism that they were uh, opening up, right? And, you know, long story short, the the police repressed them as they are, you know, as they do uh, in, in, in France and everywhere else in the West uh, when people come to challenge the uh, impositions of capitalist law. Uh, so people who initially even thought, naively or not, that the police would be on their side, that they were going to walk down and have this democratic conversation with their democratically elected government had a rude awakening and there was a rapid um, learning curve that happened in the beginning of the movement where normal people who went down to protest, you know, were quickly beaten and tear gassed, but they came back. Um, rather than get discouraged, they came back and they came back ready for that the next time. So this is November 17th, November 24th of last year. The second demonstration was called the second act, uh, almost like acts in a play, right? Um, and so they they began doing these weekly demonstrations and they quickly became super ferocious. So the December 1st day of action, 2018, was one of the most intense insurgent demonstrations in living memory in which you have countless shops looted. You have the neighborhoods of the wealthy and elite uh, being savagely attacked. What we see is like masses of people coming from outside the cities into the city and engaging in a force relation with their government in 
totally unscripted ways, uh, which largely depart from and pay you know no mind to the traditional leftist repertoire of like protests and you know marches and you know, declaring your routes and having leaders and you know a sort of like hot dog truck and a bunch of organized sort of like fanfare and spectacle, right? It's really just normal people coming down who are furious, who share an anger against a common enemy, and who are who just do things that make sense to them. So there's a kind of like expression that kind of took on, like um, you can't really translate it. It's like you let's let's yellow vest it. Uh, they say in France, which just means like let's do things completely simply and logically. So it's like oh the yellow vests are upset about something Macron did. They just go to Macron's office. It's like oh they're upset about the tolls on their roads. They go and they smash the toll booths. Right? It's like um, the yellow vests just go and do things that make sense. And so the acts continued week after week. Uh, the the fuel tax was actually repealed, I think, on December sixth or something. Fairly quickly, they they won a struggle, I should add, um, right away, more or less, but not fast enough um, to where they felt appeased. And so this antagonism continued to spread as they felt disregarded and ignored and abused uh, by the French government. Um, and they began taking over all these roundabouts nearby where they lived. They would they would um, go into these traffic circles just at the edge of the towns they lived, and they would build these shacks and um, take over these places and get organized uh, close to where they lived in the in the countryside. So that's sort of like um, sort of the two dynamics that set up, and that's kind of a bit about the initial phase of the movement. Tell us what is a meme and what is a social movement? How are they different? In the article, we talk about how like in certain cases the social movement paradigm um, can overlap with memes. But like to set out just an opposition, I think like well, when we talk about a social movement, we're talking about a struggle that's organized around a distinctive experience of suffering, right? So like workers fighting around their experience as workers, whether that be like a wage struggle or working conditions or like, you know, um, yeah, uh, rhythm, you know, uh, <clears throat> the rate of exploitation in various sorts, right? Or it could be like students fighting over rapes on campus or like tuition hikes or policing on campus or any other sorts of student issues, right? And so a social movement is social because it starts from a subjectivity uh, and is typically understood as the fight of that subjectivity to advance its interests, right? So like the classic example of this in France, and this was like for exactly 50 years before we wrote this article, was like May of 68, where you had like student demos that spiraled out of control and then um, ended up in barricades in the streets, right? And then they like went to the factories and then there was this worker student coordinating committee. And the vision of revolution there is like each person organizes around their different grammar, around their different experience. And then hypothetically, the revolution would look something like a coalition of solidarity between all the different groupings. And that would happen. That would result in something like a general strike. And then somehow all of those competing interests work something out at some indeterminate moment and agree on what they have in common later. So a meme is different from this because you hear this in the very name, the yellow vest, right? It's not a person. It's the gesture that is named when you talk about the movement. The gesture is, I put on the vest. And that is so all of the memes, uh, when we talk about a mimetic mode of organizing or a mimetic mode of fighting, we're always talking about a gesture that's repeated, not a group of people that do it. So the yellow vest is anyone who puts on a vest and goes and fights with other people who put on a vest. But it could be like people having squirt gun fights with cops. And then it's like the squirt gunners are, are doing it again, or you know, people who slow roll in trucks, like the slow rollers, right? So it's like we're talking about a gesture. And in that sense, anyone who performs a gesture is included because it's a type of action, not a subjectivity that's in question. And, um, you know, as, as Paul was just saying, that means that there's no inherent limit on what it can mean. 
there's no sort of termination of hostilities that's anticipated in advance as soon as the interests are satisfied because there's no base interest that's driving it. Everyone can fight for really different reasons. And you know, you're wearing the same vest, but you're there for this reason, I'm there for that. So in that sense, it's an open-ended form of conflict, which makes it less manageable, as we were just saying. And in this in this sense, it feels like the kind of struggle that we're likely to see more of in our time since subjectivities have sort of at least as they were once imagined as a sort of root of political revolutionary prospects, you know, have seemingly withered and, and retreated. Uh, this kind of struggle we expect to like come out more more to the fore just to go off of that like i guess it's our assumption that the interests of like people who pick up a gestures it, it like seems like their horizon is unclear it, whether or not it's like for, for me at least like whether or not there is some principle of unity like there might be but it's not clear from the get-go and that authorizes a more diverse participation than a struggle built around a shared experience. So at least like from my perspective, maybe there is a limit to what is occurring, but it's impossible from the outset to verify that, like ver to verify who can participate and who cannot. And so that's that ambiguity I think is exciting. And that is what probably creates the conditions for a more diverse and holistic struggle. You're listening to Interchange on WFHB. Our show is Memes with Force. Producer Bella Bravo spoke with Adrian Boliban and Paul Torino, two Americans involved in the Gilets Jaunes or Yellow Vest movement in France since its beginning. Today they discuss its broad appeal and its long-term strength as a physical presence in the streets. So that seems to connect to the roundabouts and you observe in your experiences there what you describe as placemaking as a big part of the movement. And so that seems like a really important step because it's a positivity. Um, whereas I, I think a lot of the critiques of the Gilets jaunes is about these negative things, either the critiques that I mentioned before, or even the absence of this preliminary step of subjectification. And so what's the relationship between the uh, roundabouts and, and this placemaking, um, and then also this uh, absence of there being a necess necessary to agree on who we are? So we make this claim in this essay that um, in the politics to come, place will supersede position. And this is our way of sort of like summing up this like difference between uh, social movements and this new form of combat that people are developing that allows them to organize primarily around gestures and common forms of fighting rather than uh, common identities or common um, experiences of suffering. And so uh, the word place there is important um, because uh, so far we've, you know, what we've been talking about could have just been, you know, people who are angry taking to the streets in yellow vests and rioting. But that's not the only thing they did. Um, and I think if they only did that, it probably wouldn't have lasted as long as it has. And it wouldn't have been as ferocious as it was. And I think part of our argument here is that by combining a kind of street warfare uh, or regular episodic kind of um, uh, ability to, to fight in the streets with another dynamic uh, and another practice that takes over space close to where people live. And in specific, they've occupied these roundabouts, these traffic circles and built like sheds on them or like little like cabins, you know, places where they can cook and be warm and like share coffee and hang out and talk and also make plans right? And get organized. Um, they can share resources, they plan actions, they develop forms of mutual aid with one another. 
and cars pass through on their way to, you know, here and there to their work, to one another's houses and so on. And they built these sheds on these roundabouts very close to where they live. Many of them are from the countryside or from the, the ex-urbs or hinterlands just outside of cities, right? And this form of vital inhabitation where like you take over a space and you create uh, forms of meaningful contact and collaboration between people in ways that everyone else around you more or less has to interact with. And in that way, that keeps you convivial and it keeps you rooted in the place you live um, rather than like going to the, like the Zod or like one of these like infrastructure camps, anti-infrastructure camps, um, you know, which we've participated in, which we support, but it just, I think we're saying needs to be seen as something like a different dynamic, you know, where you go far away uh, from where you normally live and you live this like camp life. That's very different from your normal life and where you wouldn't see anyone from your normal life out there. Right. And, and then you go back home and it maintains this kind of separation. This practice of occupying places very close to your life, getting organized, um, holding space, um, and doing so uh, in a combative but also joyful and meaningful way is very threatening to the state. They did hundreds of these all over, and it's not surprising to us that the state felt very threatened by that. And it literally creates a new place of politics. They shifted the site of politics from governments, cities, which are just to be attacked, which we just approach with forced relations, uh, to our own lives. Right, the, the lives of the people around us, the lives of the, the people who we live near, right? Um, to make the site of politics, the site of life, to take our own lives seriously in that way is something very meaningful and significant that this movement did, you know? Also, building off that, these roundabout blockades and occupations were also very diverse by age. This is like something that kind of seemed to really affect the movement in general like there, there is lots of videos of much older people even like clashing with police in, in a in a kind of limited way but like in like small villages or for me what was more inspiring even in just like not that small but definitely unenjoyable suburbs just like kind of distant suburbs of cities where there's just like it doesn't even have the dignity of being a small village it's just like a stupid place full of chain stores or whatever and there'd just be like 20 you know people who are, who are like have silver hair kind of pushing and shoving with police and the shift of the struggles out of a kind of symbolic activist camp temporality which isn't always so symbolic and which we're definitely not opposed to but which like the shifting of it back into all of these small roundabouts also changes the temporal experience of the struggle as was hinted at because people are not returning to real life from the cities and all of the kind of semantic and symbolic meaning of even the like undignified and like boring small towns and suburbs it like everything just becomes a place rich with meaning and rich with symbols of the of the movement during the period of the workers movement you didn't have to fabricate this type of thing like everyone just lives in a factory town everything was constantly rich with the meaning of the struggles taking place at the site of production we thought it was really interesting that really in a kind of hobbled together way lots of different people who lived in these formerly unimportant places were able to you know authorize their own participation in a movement from exactly where they already were so we argue that um when we say place will supersede position <clears throat> um what we're saying is that by organizing and, and developing literally constructing these places or sites of life right these like uh, inhabited spaces that gesture allows them to take the, the experience of politics and make it intimate and close at the same time as it obviously isn't in the factory and it isn't necessarily even at the school or it isn't like in front of parliament. Like the place we do politics is 
the place closest to our lives, closest to where we already inhabit, the places we know, right? The places that are ours. If anything's ours, it's like it's going to be closest to where we live, right? Maybe nothing's ours, but like they make something ours in a proximity that you can imagine holding on to. You know what I mean? And in that sense, um, there's something that's potentially lasting and permanent about that and allows you to imagine and if the state receded, if like there were real crises, whether ecological or social, that this type of organizing, which is decentered and is um, something tangible and material, could outlive and outlast and lead to literally a different starting point for social life in general or society or whatever we call like you know what whatever would come after capitalism and so we say borrowing a term from agamben we talk about this as a destituent move like this occupation of roundabouts is the destituent side of the lfs movement literally meaning like you are destituting unraveling or emptying out the significance of the political as it's classically understood you're just making that not the meaning of politics for us anymore it's like that attempt to claim authority doesn't mean anything to us except whatever another gang claiming its territory or something you know for us now politics is this gestural inhabiting territorial behavior that we do with one another that's close to our lives and it makes us feel powerful um like that's politics to us so it's, it's a destituent vector and so we say basically the movement is a combination of a mimetic mode of composition and a destituent or placemaking uh, practice. It's like those two things are like new and important, or at least the way they're being done is new. Just one last thing around around the time we were working on this, there was um, the like terrible campfire, so called campfire in California. There, there ended up being an encampment in Chico, California, in like a, a Walmart easement. It was kind of like in the parking lot, but also on the grass, like between the parking lot and the road, um, which is like a commonly identifiable place for most Americans. Probably you can just visualize it. But like, you know, this was like facing repression and was like the site of some like contestation, even though it's just a small example example what, what wasn't proceeding was a group of people with a position advancing their position against the other positions in a type of clash that would produce a, a synthesis and a new idea of politics and life it was people because of bad situations in a place and the only meaningful way to organize politically was to nurture and take care of that place um, and this is kind of the politics of camp life in general but just like putting that out there like some of this framework, even if it might sound dubious um, to, to you know, the listeners or to whoever in uh, the context of what people sometimes describe as social movements, hopefully people can minimally appreciate that something of what we're saying will probably be useful to people going forward in circumstances that no one would volunteer themselves for, such as refugee camps. And in general, the shift is from questions like, who am I and what am I to where are we? And where are we fighting from? And where are we defending? Like, where is the life that we are making together? And how do we defend it? So where and how rather than who and what. It's time for a break. This is Mr. Fabre with Blocage. More on memes with force and the yellow vests in France. Stay with us on Interchange on WFHB.
Welcome back to Interchange on WFHB. Today, Bella Bravo talks with Adrian Voleben and Paul Torino, Americans who contributed to the Gilets Jaunes at its outset. They've written an article called Memes with Force, which focuses on the transformation of the political imaginary through memes, or contagious nonverbal gestures, and placemaking, which centers meaning on daily lives as opposed to political discourse. And so that's exactly where I wanted to go next was some examples of both this mimetic force and this uh, positive inhabitation. Uh, I'm glad that you connected the two to show that the mimetic force, um, you see this emptying out, this evasion of engagement in an institutional a conversation um, and a way through the meme, uh, people are able to sustain that evasion for what's now been well over a year, months and months and months, many acts. And the the placemaking this, you called it uh, a destitution. It's an interesting term because it's actually a way for people to live and identify um, and enact their own value or defend it from uh, their most uh, in- intimate position, um, which is where they live. So the roundabouts have been cleared out in France. And as far as we know, those sites aren't as active as the ongoing mimetic force in the streets in the cities. But what I'm interested in is uh, other examples. So you've made these observations, these two different threads that are coming out of the yellow vest. And as we know, in 2019 was the year of global uprisings, where you saw this placemaking in Chico. Are you seeing memes with force in, in other places? Well, certainly in in Chile last fall, in light of fair hikes to the public transit system, um, a kind of game was organized by high schoolers uh, called Mass Evasion, um, which basically took an everyday kind of subversion practiced by intelligent people across the world, which is just to not pay for public transit. And everyone just did it at once. It'd be like 100, 200 high schoolers just skipping the fair together as kind of a game, like a subversive game, but uh, very playful in the way that memes are playful and and kind of like wrongheadedly or just like stupidly. Uh, the police just started like really clamping down on these games, on these events that were being uh, promoted on social media without going into it too much. This produced a tremendous upheaval in Chile, which is ongoing and which deserves people's support. And... This is like most concretely the clearest example, but also, you know, in the struggle in Hong Kong against um, police repression and the proposal for an extradition bill that would just make it easier for uh, Chinese uh, mainland police and Hong Kong uh, regional police to to work together. That movement is full of memes. It's like only memes from the, the technical, the use of laser pointers and umbrellas to just lots of kind of like uh, Hong Kong specific memes dealing with anime and stuff like that but I, I i think that something interesting about these three places is that something about the approach to struggle and the, the understanding of the conflict has kind of submerged all of the antagonisms of the country into like the type of arrangement where there, there's just sides that don't seem to have a reconciliatory horizon it's like impossible to imagine how the gilet jaune is like kind of even like the yellow vest is kind of is it over it's like kind of over but there's like climate strike events with like thousands of people in yellow vests and then there's like you know like like migrant-led movements that like explicitly 
open themselves up to this same type of thing uh, with the yellow vests. And it's just everywhere that this form of struggle is taking off where subjectivity, discourse, that, that horizontal feeling, everywhere that the horizontal feeling is vacated in favor of a shared kind of presence in struggle by way of techniques, which is memes, it seems like there's not any way to stop them. There's like no way for the people involved to stop doing them. And there's no way for their opponents, which are is generally the police and the um, institutions that they work for. There's no way for them to get the situations to stop either, even with like lots of violence, even with reforms. This is like an ongoing dynamic. This is not like some mythical dynamic from the past. This is something that will continue to mutate in ways that will be hard to understand um, from far away at least. But like, it does seem interesting that that in 2019, at, at least in a few countries, that dynamic did spread, and certainly not everywhere. And in Lebanon, also, there's uh, viral footage of people singing "Baby Shark," which, if you, if you're young enough, you'll be familiar with this song. But it's just like surreal to see pe- like thousands of people in Beirut singing "Baby Shark" in an occupied plaza. Also, there, there's a, a really beautiful um, Chilean song um, that the like Chilean feminists in the movement have, have written recently about like you know, like the police officers are rapists and stuff like this and there's actually just a video i saw yesterday of um like bengali protesters singing this song in their own translation and there's like lasers which and like all of the methods of the movements are finding their own consistency are like in a kind of strange concussive way the gestures seek out their own territory the gestures seek out their own people and their own temporality and only those who are willing to dissolve themselves into the kind of rhythms of the gestures can participate, can, like, can make themselves the media of what's occurring. And those are the people in the movement. And it seems like those gestures have the power, have like an international power. Um, and, and so like on, only where the power to stabilize political subjects, to like name, circumnavigate, identify actors, which is a process that the police, technology companies, the political right and left wing all participate in. In all the places best at doing that, probably there will not be these types of emancipatory, confusing mimetic struggles. Everywhere where pe- where things are a bit more relaxed, where people are a bit more open to the kind of disorienting frenzy of the cosmos or whatever, these people, wherever they are on the planet, we expect that they will continue to try methods that people are trying everywhere um, in the same way that the strike the, like the classical strike spread all over the planet very rapidly um, throughout the 19th and 20th century people of all ideologies with all identities with all motivations used the strike which was kind of a, a meme in its own way which now whatever the strike was seems to have even kind of autonomized itself from the need to advance political objectives and th- that's exciting to us I think when we talk about the meme, it can be confusing if we refer to memes within the context of a social struggle or a social movement. But really, I think what we're seeing is that gestures are like freeing themselves from any inherent reference to a stable subject beneath them. And so like the strike is a complex example because, of course, it would have been workers striking and the identity of the worker really obviously sustained the political experience of the workers movement. And in that sense, what we're seeing today is like a circulation of tactics and experiences that of like, you know, this makes sense. This is cool. This is a thing to do without any need to be like, oh, but like that's something that 
X person does. And that's per- something that like Y person shouldn't do, right? Or like this identity does that. So therefore it's not for us, right? Like we can talk, I mean, to borrow a term from uh, Jill Deleuze, we can talk about a deterritorialization of gestures from uh, identities, right? Such that they can travel literally like in that word, you hear the idea of like something liberating itself so it can move and become portable, right? Such that like baby shark can become a dance in this or that place, right? Or like the ability to like group at the front of a march and fight in anonymous ways is like something that everyone recognizes you can do. It's not just for anarchists, right? Anymore, right? The black block or the, the anonymous sort of masked combative block is just no longer inherently indexed or like um, married to identities or ideologies, right? And we've long known that like the right and the left can borrow tactics from one another. But what we're seeing is that just gestures are like spreading in ways that aren't even indexed to politics anymore and that non-political things can become political uh, just like political things can be, can penetrate everyday life and just spread. And that those s- distinctions that like largely hang on identities and ideologies just don't mean anything anymore. And it's part of this time we're in where like politics also just doesn't mean the same thing it used to mean. And that's like actually good because a lot of, as Paul was just saying, like a lot of those things were about managing and identifying in order to pacify and neutralize people's ability to live free and healthy and um, powerful lives with one another, right? And then so that they could be workers, so that they could be subjects uh, of government, right? You're listening to Interchange on WFHB. Our show is Memes with Force. Producer Bella Bravo spoke with Adrian Boliban and Paul Torino, two Americans involved in the Gilets Jaunes or Yellow Vest movement in France since its beginning. Today they discuss its broad appeal and its long-term strength as a physical presence in the streets. We're talking about how political resonance is reflected through virality, which is both comprised of speed and improvisation. It has to be both of those things. And because of speed and and mutation uh, or improvisation, demands can't stabilize and there can't be these corrections to conditions of suffering. This isn't a form for a stable political subject. So the thing that I want to draw out a little bit more or you two to draw out a little bit more is the force. So we have the memes part. Um, what is the force that we're seeing either in the yellow vet that you two saw in the yellow vest movement or that you're seeing in these other movements as they're using memes? When we talk about a gesture, we're talking about like a, a thing that you do, right? Like um, and maybe I'll give an example of why this is like powerful as a way of understanding how we organize, you know, or, or like how things get organized today. Like the the we is strictly like, you know, canceled out or whatever, just crossed out because it, it's not a precondition for the action, right? So like some friends of, and I kind of got excited about this. Um, I don't know what to call it. I guess it was like a, a sequence of struggle, I guess, right? Around um, owner operator truckers who were experiencing all sorts of new forms of surveillance and management um, on the part of the trucking regulations administration and in cooperation with the bosses of these large corporations that they work for. Long story short, they were getting uh, GPS trackers. There was all these regulations on how much you could drive, and you know there was they were in fact stupid and unsafe, and you know f- constantly these forms of um, regulation and governance that were just not only unnecessary but were just like harmful. And so truckers were very pissed off, and they started organizing on Facebook groups under a hashtag called Black Smoke Matters, um, which is you know whatever as a name. But the thing that they did was they would gather. Um, in truck stops 
they would call for these meetups where they would all drive together to these truck stops. And then they would take to the freeways and they would slow roll, which is just what it sounds like to drive very, very slowly on the freeway and therefore make yourself a kind of rolling blockade uh, that was like blocking by obstructing, but not by standing still. So it was a kind of like be water in, uh, in a way, because it was mobile, but still combative, you know? And they did this in California, in Pennsylvania, in Minnesota, in Indiana. One of the uh, blockades that we were told about by some of the truckers in Pennsylvania involved some 250 truckers blocking the largest freeway in Pennsylvania for like three days. And so it was an extremely effective practice, right? And that's really great. <clears throat> but what we were thinking about coming out of France and coming out of the, this experience of being in with the yellow vest, you know, it's like, how can we start looking at struggles that in that case were like a social movement, right? At least so insofar as like what we've talked about is like people organizing around their specific experience of suffering. So this is like truckers fighting about a trucking issue. So it's still a social movement in some sense, right? In that minimal sense. We were like, yeah, but the slow roll, like that's a gesture that's very powerful. And lots of people have vehicles, not just truckers, right? So we went in being like, we support the truckers, but also the, how could this gesture be possibly deterritorialized from that specific struggle and spread as um, an iterable or repeatable thing that lots of different kinds of people could do, right? So it's like a perspective that we're looking for now is like um, what matters is not who's doing something or why, but like what the potentiality in that thing uh, is to become contagious and to, to spark like these very antagonistic and, and rapidly spreading forms of activity. Um, so, you know, we were like, what would it mean if like every time somebody got pissed off, they would get their friends together and go slow roll in the freeways and go slow roll in the streets. It's like not even technically illegal, but it would be so disruptive. Um, and I could tell a story about what happened when they tried to drive into Chicago and the police mobilized hundreds of officers to block every single off ramp into the city so that the truckers couldn't get to Trump Tower and block and uh, soul roll around downtown. It was very, very intense. Um, and the movement seemingly petered out uh, for um, for complex reasons that largely had to do with inexperience. But uh, what I'm getting at is just like the perspective that this sort of like informs and a way of seeing things and looking for things that we're sort of trying to suggest people learn from the gilets jaunes, right? Is like to learn how to see gestures uh, as the way um, that things will expand and become contagious. The yellow vest movement could just not have happened. Like it, it could have just failed. Terms and um, ideas that spread and feelings that are contagious and forms of social organization that are scalable are always occurring on a shifting and delicate terrain that is really prior to the types of analysis that most people operate with. It, it could have just been that there was, there was like the day the yellow vest movement was like having its first demonstration. It was raining and like some, it could have been, you know, like a, a there was some sort of national tragedy at a small, at a big enough scale just to create enough lethargy that the first action was just bad. And then it just like didn't ever happen. And I bring that up because I think that forms of contagious, powerful, possibly you know disruptive social action mimetic action could emerge without anyone knowing they were going to work and that is actually likely as the kind of rationality and as the intelligence of politics between for instance left-wing thinkers certainly right-wing thinkers and the the kind of movements we're seeing as they continue to become more and more unintelligible to one another as forms of conflict continue to emerge in the next century that are more and more complicated with more and more kind of awkward sides and weird collaborations. I think it's most likely that the weather 
and the gossip and the colors and slogans and smells of a moment will have just been right enough to spread rapidly. And like if any of those factors were different, it would just fail. And so everyone like looking to engineer a kind of combustible circumstance through memes will probably not be able to. It's, it's also kind of similar to how memes work. All memes work like on the internet too. It's like kind of not completely true. If you have like enough computational power, you can kind of like force something to go viral a little bit. But when we're talking about like a sustained type of feeling and subversion, um, you know, cause these kind of like astroturfed memes don't actually persist because they don't actually speak to a real kind of feeling and joke. People who are invested in like emancipatory struggles and like contemporary analysis of those struggles and contemporary interventions in complicated conflicts of the 21st century are going to need to have a much broader perspective of what's happening. Recently at the Whitney Museum, there is like a, a very strange kind of conflict having to do with one of the donors, like being a part of like a kind of a tear gas manufacturer or receiving money from a factory. This could have just as easily become an insurrection. You know, if like if, if everything was lined up just correctly and there was like some form of action that was like really subversive and cool or something like this could have just led to a broader sequence. I just bring it up because I just want people to constantly be looking with the widest scale, the widest scope. If we're not thinking of just the workers or just minorities or just students, if we're just trying to understand how things can and might happen, we should really understand as much as possible. What we're talking about is how insurrections are likely to happen, uh, how conflicts become unmanageable for the state, and how people find uh, what what the premises that people require in order to be able to move with one another and what isn't required, right? What isn't required is a promise that it's going to work. What isn't required is an ideology that we all share. What isn't required is a, a sense that we share, even experience the same kind of suffering in this world, right? What is required is a confidence in our own action, a willingness to experiment, uh, a sense that what other people are doing elsewhere is related to us uh, and that we're not like, you know, on some fundamentally other plane than the people in the squares in Beirut or in Hong Kong or in like Chile, right? That like the, the problems we face today are global, even if we have to confront always, you know, confront them always from a local situation. And in that sense that like anything can spread anywhere and that we should try all the different things um, and that what will work will be what is unmanageable for the state. And that means unmappable uh, things that don't present obvious uh, negotiators or legitimating subjects, right? Uh, so you don't know like who the real gilets jaunes are and who the, you know, the, the, the imposters, the noobs are. And so in any way, what we're saying is basically that like there's a new non-representational form of action that is the real thing that we should be focused on um, and that radicals who care about subversion uh, need to catch up. It's time for a final break. This is Papicito with Emmanuel Macron versus Gilets jaunes. More on memes with force and the yellow vests in France. Stay with us on Interchange on WFHB. Qu'est-ce qu'on fait C'est quoi le plan B Putain, les enculés, tu vas voir, on va pas se laisser faire. Parce que lui, à mon avis, on va manquer sur Paris, là, tu vas voir, on va aller sur Paris. 
va tous au Champs-Elysées samedi. Soumaya, appelle tout le monde, là on va tous au Welcome back to Interchange on WFHB. Today, Bella Bravo talks with Adrian Voleben and Paul Torino, Americans who contributed to the Gilets Jaunes at its outset. They've written an article called Memes with Force, which focuses on the transformation of the political imaginary through memes, or contagious nonverbal gestures, and placemaking, which centers meaning on daily lives as opposed to political discourse. There are real stakes in any political action that's taken, just as much as there are real stakes in the lives that we live. Uh, and so I want to talk a little bit about what is at stake with the Gilets Jaunes movement, because you mentioned, Paul, that it was possible that the Yellow Vest movement um, wouldn't have happened at all. Um, a concern that uh, was at least relatively prevalent at the beginning of the movement but was that it would be captured by the right. Uh, and uh, what has, even though the movement is ongoing and it's still dynamic and it's still changing, I was wondering if you could comment on uh, what the outcome of that has been because you had a, a thesis on uh, a specifically an anti-fascist mechanism within uh, the meme uh, of the yellow vest uh, and how that has played out. To, to think about... Um when uh, conflicts explode in which gestures become really viral and tons of people are taking action and, and no one is there to, you know, uh, no one's waiting for permission to start moving against this world, whether it's like against the state or against the rich or, you know, against borders or whatever, it becomes the focal point of like, you know, transportation costs, whatever it is that like suddenly becomes a flashpoint for mass action. Um, we're going to see less and less movement policing uh, being effective and less and less clearly defined ideological parameters of struggles, right? Because people are throwing themselves in and off on their own reading, right? They're acting on the strength of their own reading of what the problem is. And so that's scary if you think that that is going to be a situation in which right-wing people are going to be able to determine the message and capitalize on all of that energy, right? And, and sort of like canalize it or funnel it into their own uh, agenda, right? So recuperate it or something, right? Um, and that's like a real worry. That's like, we're not saying that's not a real worry. What we're saying is, okay, the traditional methods for doing that dealing with that problem uh which are you know it's to some extent effective and um to be celebrated or whatever right uh and we're to some extent present in the gilet jaune um are not the only or even necessarily the most effective thing so what mostly what anti-fascists do if they're not online do it doxing and doing sort of like intel is they go out in the street and they straight up fight the far right activists right they like chase them out of the demos and so on and that is one way you can deal with this issue if you have like um bands of visibly organized uh, fascists, right? And that's fine. But our suggestion is that um, property destruction, specifically as it was targeted at privately owned corporate businesses, um, was in fact, as if not more important for preventing the far right from being able to hegemonize or lay claim to the movement because at the at the root of it the far right is pro property and they are they are capitalists right um and so they're ultimately there to impress upon the situation uh the return to the status quo on their own terms right terms that are beneficial for a, a narrow you know subset of the population which is usually white people and white men and so as long as the movement is openly looting and attacking uh, privately owned corporate businesses. It can do a lot of other things too, but that in and of itself keeps open, we're saying, the communist possibility, the possibility of communism. It prevents the right wing from 
um, laying claim to the movement in any way that they're comfortable doing. So, for example, Ukraine, during the Maidan movement, right, we saw lots of destruction of government property uh, because it was in many respects a conflict against a certain administration. Um, but zero businesses were smashed, right? And it never made that leap into looting or destruction of capitalist property. And in this sense, uh, it was able to be captured by the far right. We think that's instructive for seeing why and explaining why the Gilets Jaunes, the LOS um, situation was different and why um, that allows us to think about anti-fascism as a wider menu of things that people can do to meaningfully prevent uh, powerful, expansive antagonisms from falling into the hands of the of the right-wing agenda. And I think, you know, as Paul was just saying, that doesn't mean go out there and wave your anarchist flag and like put up slogans and try and say this movement is, you know, this or that anti-capitalist ideology, right? It's not about centering non-fascist ideologies. It's about spreading practices that are contagious, that are incompatible with their ideologies. So it's again about the mimetic practice-based um, approach to this problem and not about a symbolic ideology uh, again. Just to push that forward more as a kind of counterfactual, if the tactical repertoire of a movement was to like in a hostile fashion surround synagogues, it would not matter if like leftist slogans became very popular or if like leftist ways to describe that had become very popular. This would still be a huge gain for anti-Semites. Um, that's kind of like you because know, at the kind of formal level, some something had already been established. Yeah. So, so, so it's like, like in addition, like to what, like what you're saying, like we, we want to attack also the ability, like social movements and like these memes need to be able to subvert fascistic feelings that are not embodied just by fascist groups or by ideological fascists. And it's like, we have to act at that level, like at a formal level prior to discourse to prevent feelings from emerging or to like, or at least to like disincentivize the emergence of feelings that only really have fascistic or kind of weird repressive and authoritarian um, logics to them, even if they describe themselves in ways that like we're comfortable with. We, you know, we don't want our ideas to become associated with fascistic feelings. But this, you know, this is all it's like, like kind of psychosexual interventions that people need to be making, like understanding how the feelings work before the discourse and it's actually discourse is not the content for which action is the form it's actually the opposite you're listening to interchange on wfhb our show is memes with force producer bella bravo spoke with adrian boliban and paul torino two americans involved in the gilets jaunes or yellow vest movement in france since its beginning Today, they discuss its broad appeal and its long-term strength as a physical presence in the streets. What sort of perspectival shift this implies in terms of how we understand the possibility of insurrection. Um, we think that basically if the way people are combining is going to be in terms of like uh, repeatable gestures and not in terms of identities. That means everyone can throw themselves in on conflicts, right? And they can spread who knows where in all different directions, right? Um, that will also mean that lots of um, what we've, you know, in some cases called like uh, unholy alliances, or, you know, we find ourselves with strange bedfellows, right? We're like moving alongside people we would never have expected to actually do things with. And in some cases, like probably deeply disagree with, right? That's going to be uncomfortable and scary, especially, you know, um, you know, if you've seen those same people do otherwise very, you know, questionable, if not violent things in, in other parts of their life, right? And so how do we imagine a situation tipping out of control? So the state loses control. And what do we do to 
keep that potential expanding while also uh, trying to make sure that the people who have a genocidal or a racist agenda don't seize power, right? Um, so we like sort of end this piece we wrote with like some sort of like almost axioms or like uh, notes or whatever, like suggestions um, as like a way of starting a conversation about how this could play out. And I'm just going to read like two of them. Um, one, the first one says, do not exclude conservatives from the movement ideologically. Rather, popularize gestures that their ideology cannot endorse. One way to do this is to legitimate property destruction against the super rich. Show, don't tell. Um, I think we talked about that just now, but like the next thing maybe helps put a finer point on it, right? So for example, although the use of graffiti and other messaging might be necessary to counter the influence of right-wing slogans early on, don't allow any one group or tendency to hegemonize the meme until the state has fully lost control. And I think, you know, for example, if you're using graffiti, you could do it in one of two ways. Um, either you're expressing hostility toward the shared enemy. So like, you know, Macron démission, like, you know, Macron resign, like that's the shared enemy and like, that's great. Uh, or against the rich or whatever. Or you should be celebrating the tactical repertoire that you want to see and the heroic deeds of the movement as a whole. Um, but don't speak in the name of a subject or exclude components of the movement. Um, and we, so the emphasis there is celebrating a tactical repertoire and the deeds. Once again, it's about action, not subjects, right? And so it's, that applies also to like the far left. It applies to revolutionaries, right? We need to get over our own habit and obsession with naming ourselves and with subjectivizing everything we do and with, you know, writing in the name of a subject and identifying ourselves. Um, and so it's, a, it's as much a corrective for us as it is uh, a way of um, attempting to avoid the, the management and policing of our movements by movement managers and so on. A lot of the characteristics of the Yellow Vest movement that you're describing, these are often critiques of social movements. So, for example, the leaderlessness, the lack of a goal, the emotional logic or acting from a place of anger. How, in your experience, did you see these qualities of what you're saying is an emancipatory struggle as opposed to one based around a condition of suffering? Um, how did you see these manifest you know, in the streets and in the roundabouts? It's funny. I think it's actually is accurate that the things that some people have used to criticize every major social movement for the last 20 years are actually the strengths of them. Um, and I think that's because the, the people who criticize social movements, like it's, it's a very specific type of person who criticizes a social movement, either people who need to legitimize to themselves why they're not participating in a historical sequence or people who need to understand how their kind of bureaucratic mentality or profession has been sidelined by a um by a social movement and so like all the kind of like middle managers of the world um i mean okay i'm sure there's many middle managers in the lvs movement i'm sure but like just like dispositionally the people who want to kind of control things and uh come to represent all the people around them these headless kind of movements really formally just interrupt the ability for that to happen um it's it, it just so so, so it, it's kind of an interesting thing and the, these movements are continuing to spread and like in recent months in the hong kong protests disorganization with that word which is funny but like disorganization leaderlessness um like are the are widely perceived as the actual strength of the movement uh, you know embodied in their kind of uh watchword be water 
And I think one of the things that's like really amazing that, that we can watch in the Gilets Jaunes uh, or the Yellow Vest movement is the fact that, you know, there was an assumption for a long time that the, the f- efficacy of people's ability to fight together, like, the, you know, whether or not the question of whether or not they'll be effective de- depended on how much they had in common with one another. Right. And how much their overlapping interests or how much their interests overlapped and how much, you know, they, they saw the same thing. They shared the same ideology and they, you know, um, in this sense, they're they're They were unified in terms of like who they were and what they wanted. And that would make it possible for them to fight together and get organized, you know? And that was like for a long time, the assumption. And I think uh, the opposite is actually the case today, or at least very, it's the case that people increasingly don't experience unities uh, and they don't have much in common or they are like what we share is not felt and identified in the same way it once was. And yet people are able to like come together and fight very effectively and get organized in the streets, uh, in these occupied roundabouts and online, right? In all of these different ways, they organize these assemblies where they're able to talk and plan things and all sorts of stuff happens. Um, and there's no preliminary moment where we needed to say, oh, you're this person, I'm this person, so we want the same thing. So therefore, you know, we are the same. This moment of unity is like something that is able to be leapt over. And our, what unifies us is the way we get organized in practice. And that's very, I think, um, appropriate for our time in a kind of anarchic time, a groundless time that we live in today, where the the, the foundations of my sense of who I was and where our world was headed and my place within all of that have sort of withered away. And hardly anyone can imagine a future, never mind even like figure out what they're doing next month. You know, Uh, this is a kind of action that allows us to ask what makes sense to us now when we look at our situation right now. And it tells us organize with whoever sees the same thing. You know, when you look at the world who wants to do the same thing, um, that's the party. Like that's who you're, who you should be organizing with. And it doesn't, you need to start from who are you? Um, you know, that's a different question. That's our show. We'll close with a final hip-hop song with the title Gilets Jaunes, this one by Cozy. As Oli Haynes writes in an article on Medium, in response to changing politics and the opportunities that are presenting themselves, French hip-hop is melding two of its traditional tones, angry social commentary and hedonistic positivity. Thanks to Adrian Voliban and Paul Torino, authors of Memes with Force, published in the online journal Mute in February of 2019. Thank you for listening. I'm Doug Storm. I produce Interchange. Bella Bravo produced today's interview, and Sean Milligan edited the program. Cade Young is executive producer. Stay tuned for The Jazz Menagerie, coming up next on WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Sortez les gilets, je dis sortez les gilets Double kéranage, t'es pendant une journée, oui Macron tu vas céder Les filles là me cherchent, je suis pas là Mais qui 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 va là J'ai la même taille que Marco Dybala Ça soumis si tu veux qu'on te va là Ils augmentent les tarots, du diesel et des garros Le gilet et ne joue en coulera pas même si on nous jette à l'eau Tu te gangster déguisé on